Listener Production. Hi, I'm Helen McCabe, founder of Future Women, a club helping women to connect, learn and lead. Over my career, I've run teams inside newspapers, edited a magazine and launched my own business. This has meant building a team from scratch, leading through difficult times and managing the odd crisis. I've never had any leadership training because I thought you were either good at leading or you weren't. I thought being decisive was a key metric for success. I was wrong and it led me to make simple but avoidable mistakes. In this series, I'm doing what I should have done years ago, reaching out to people who I admire, who have also successfully run teams across all types of industries. So I can ask their advice on some of the common leadership challenges. The times I felt most isolated at work were when I didn't fit in, and the more I tried, the worse it got. My guest today is the Rural Woman of the Year, Stephanie Trethui. Steph worked at the highest levels of commercial television before moving with her husband Sam to Tasmania, where they co-founded Taz Ag Co, which is leading the way in the farming of sustainable Wagyu. I met Sam many years ago, and he told me a little about Steph and their plans to marry, etc. What I didn't know until recently is that Steph is also the CEO and founder of Motherland Australia, an organisation on a mission to eliminate the crippling isolation of many women who live on the land. In this episode, I talked to Steph about isolation and loneliness and how she found a way out and how you can too. Steph, welcome to the Future Women Leadership Series. Where are you recording from today? I'm recording from my little office on the farm, looking out at about 450 acres and a few head of cattle. And where's the farm? So I live in central north Tassie, up near Deloraine, about 45 minutes from Launceston. Beautiful. That's just to make all of our listeners feel incredibly envious of your lifestyle. What does your day look like so far? My day so far, a bit of everything. Went up to my veggie patch. I'm trying to grow more than I'm than I kill. I don't always succeed in that. Um, and then I had a couple of podcasts to record, a couple of Zoom meetings, check some cattle with Sam, and that's about it. <laughs> Fantastic. I apologies. I really should have started by saying congratulations on being named Australia's Rural Woman of the Year, because mm-hmm. that is a huge achievement. And can you tell us a little bit about how that came to be? Yeah, it's funny. It's one of those things where when you don't back yourself, it's amazing what opportunities you can miss out on. So I wasn't actually going to apply for the award. I didn't think I was ready. I didn't think Motherland was ready, but I clearly was. So yeah, it's, it's I guess the Agri Futures Rural Women's Award is arguably the most prestigious award in our entire rural industry for male and females. It attracts about 500 people to Parliament House in Canberra every year. And yeah, I, I had a crack and it paid off. And, you know, so incredibly proud and privileged to have an even bigger platform now to keep growing my business, our charity, and keep advocating for rural women and rural mums. Now, many people know your story who listen to your brilliant podcast. What has the award meant for you in that sense? And, and do you have moments of imposter syndrome like, how am I even here? I think every woman in particular, unfortunately, throws around imposter syndrome. I'm trying to use that term less and less because it's giving me a complex, Helen. Like I just, (laughs) there are so many situations that I think, why me? Am I the best person for this? But I'm trying to back myself more. And it's been a game changer for me professionally from a leadership perspective 
being able to elevate the voices of a community that goes unheard into a mainstream platform, even by speaking to you today, it's so incredibly exciting. And, you know, I'm definitely using my background from from media and marketing and storytelling to really to really grow this message and, and to create some, you know, long-term impact. Motherland is is my baby, my non-human baby and and hopefully my legacy. I do find it interesting how you refer to overcoming imposter syndrome because I think that is really good advice to anyone who has that sense of imposter syndrome is just to back yourself and to kind of push it out of your mind. Is that a good summary of what you just said? I think so. I think, you know, I hate also hate the term fake it till you make it. I, I don't know. I'm, I'm going through a lot of growth at the moment when I just think from a confidence point of view, women in business, they just, they need to realise that we need to get out of our own heads. Like we are the problem. Other people are not the problem. I have spoken to other people and they you know, always say what a great leader I am and, and how deserving I am of the award. No one is saying or thinking poorly of me except myself. And I think that's where that deep-rooted self-esteem issues, they come from within. And, you know, I think the more that we just accept the fact that we need to get rid of tall poppy syndrome, you know, how, how many times have you heard a woman in, woman in business say when they're congratulated, oh, thanks so much, but, oh, you know, it's not a big deal, or I had help, or this, it's always something. Just take the compliment, build your confidence, and start to believe slowly but surely that you're where you're meant to be and you are a leader, and that takes time, and I'm still in that. I mean, speaking, I've been invited to speak on a panel at the Future Women Leadership Summit, massive imposter syndrome, <laughs> looking at the, the lineup of speakers, and then just thinking, well, no, I'm there for a reason. And and what can I bring to the table? So yeah, it's a bit of a journey. And and look, the imposter syndrome is real. I'm pretty sure Annabelle Crabb would say she has imposter syndrome and she's opening the whole conference. So, you know, you're <laughs> in good on, company. No <laughs> I think that's absolutely right. Everyone does experience some degree of imposter syndrome. I want to go back a few steps because the purpose of this podcast is to give listeners as much practical advice in their professional lives and there's many things we could talk about, and we've already strayed into imposter syndrome. But the one that I'm interested in exploring with you is the feeling of loneliness or isolation. And I think that can be applied in many different instances. So talk to me a little bit about how you started Motherland. Yeah, so I started my whole journey after falling in love with a farmer, as you do. <laughs> so, you know, for me, my background is in, in journalism and I was a TV reporter, a 23-year-old TV reporter, I think, 24, when I interviewed my now husband, Sam, for the six o'clock news when I was working up in central Queensland and it was a slow news day. The rest is history. I managed to get an interview out of him about something to do with agriculture and meat and connection to food and I pulled the story out of nowhere and you know, I didn't realise that that chance meeting would change my life more than I ever thought possible. And, you know, there came a time in our relationship when Sam wanted to move back to the land. He's a third generation farmer, but he's also worked in agribusiness, agri-finance, suit and tie type thing. And there came a time when, you know, we were in Melbourne and and Sam floated the idea after our honeymoon of of having a crack at launching our own beef business, which we, we now run, the Tasmanian Agricultural Company. And I said yes. I was so excited to leave the rat race. I left behind sort of seven years in TV and, and, and corporate. I also spent two years in, in corporate comms and I was ready. I was done and I was excited to have the freedom that I thought life on the land would give us and it does give us. But I also moved here with a six-month-old child, my first child, and motherhood, like so many women listening who have had children can relate. It just hit me like a ton of bricks and the change in identity and having to grapple with this new Steph 
I had so put my self-value on my career and my skills and my CV and my networks and I didn't know who I was anymore. I felt so alone as a mum. I struggled in Melbourne, but then when we moved to the farm, to put in perspective, I lived in inner West Melbourne, two-minute walk to the shops, cafes, my mother's group, the train, the city, and all of a sudden I was on a 450-acre farm. For me, it felt like the middle of nowhere. I couldn't walk anywhere apart from the paddocks and around here. And Sam was working seven days a week and I didn't realise what loneliness felt like until I was dealing with that. And that sent my mental health into a really bad space and I really struggled. I, I didn't know who I was anymore and I didn't have a village. I didn't have anyone, friends, family, business connections. It was really tough. When did you first consciously realise that you were struggling? Hmm. It was pretty easy. Uh, The front door would close and Sam would go out to work on the farm and I would just burst into tears. I would just hang out for him to come home again and I was just alone with this baby. And I personally don't like the term farmer's wife. That's just within our industry, a lot of people wear that with pride. I don't. I don't think no one calls an accountant's wife an accountant's wife or a dentist's wife. So I don't like that label. But for me, I just felt like I was just the wife of a farmer and a mum and I was alone. And I was navigating this really challenging time in my life when the business started, you know, cattle take a while to grow. So we didn't have a product to market or sell, which is what my skill set, you know, was brought in for into the business. And so, yeah, it was pretty obvious that things were pretty tough and I was pretty alone. I only had to look around and listen to my emotions and yeah, just it was really difficult. I want to ask two questions. I want to ask you, at what point did Sam realise that he had a problem and then how you dug yourself out? Which order do you want to take those questions? <laughs> I, <laughs> Sam still is learning the extent of how much I struggle with that isolation. I think I just did what a lot of mums, women, rural people especially do is I just put up and I shut up and I just didn't want to be a burden. He was working his guts out as so many farmers do, male or female, seven days a week. And I just thought, who am I to complain? I have a beautiful husband, a beautiful farm, a healthy child. Why do I feel so alone? And so for me, I didn't talk about it and I and that was really hard. But I had this moment and I've talked about this moment before because it really was a moment where Elliot was about nine months old and we'd been there for three months and I felt really angry. I remember I had this moment where they say, you know, where I thought, you know, if they say it takes a village to raise a child, then where the hell is mine? And I felt really envious of Sam that he could walk out the door every day and just get on with life and get on with his career, even though he was, you know, slogging it out. And so I always feel like, particularly in business, the best business ideas, the best innovations, I feel often are fueled from adversity. And so for me, I just thought, I'm struggling for a reason. Like, I'm clearly depressed. I'm clearly alone. I don't know what else to do here, but I'm going to have to do something pretty quickly. And so that's where the idea for Motherland was born. And, and yeah, it was a really beautiful way for journalism staff, career-driven staff and mother staff to come together in a remote location and, and do something about my life and others. Incredible achievement and congratulations. And I think your story, many women will relate to that closing the door and bursting into tears. I have heard it many times in many circumstances. What were the timeframes here? So you you have this experience pretty much from day one when you move to the country with a small baby. How long between realising you had a problem and then working out 
how to dig yourself out of it? Not very long, Helen. Uh, you've met my husband and both of us are very similar. We are not very patient people. We move 150 miles an hour and and we just go go for it. And so for me, I just I had as soon as I had the idea, I think it was within a couple of weeks, I had registered the business name Motherland. I had started my Instagram page for $150. I created the logo myself. It's the same logo that stays today because I like it. It works. And um, I started hunting around for women in farming around Australia who would be happy to share their story on the podcast. You know, it came at a time where I also you know, probably should have sought some professional help. The wait lists, particularly in regional Australia and rural Australia, are ridiculous. That's a whole nother conversation. It was months. But really, Motherland saved me. It gave me purpose. It made me and has made me a better mum, a better business partner, a better wife, a better everything. So yeah, to answer your question, it all happened pretty quickly. And, and I had no intention of it growing to what it has. It just sort of doors opened and I just followed them. What advice do you have to anyone who's clicked on this podcast today and is feeling isolated in their life or lonely? What would you say to them? Don't underestimate how dangerous isolation can be. You know, we hear about isolation being a problem in in the elderly. You know, it, it doesn't discriminate. Isolation, loneliness does not discriminate. My job is, is to advocate for my people, rural mums, but social isolation is a leading health risk factor. Multiple studies around the world have shown that is it is a really big health risk factor physically and mentally. So, you know, it doesn't matter where you live. It doesn't matter what your postcode is. Isolation is so dangerous. And I think we have a problem, you know, where we are so, we as humans, we wait until the pain is really bad to change. It's almost like as a business owner, you know, something pops up. If, if something in your business pops up and it's a problem, like usually you'll address it pretty quickly. But with our own health, we don't have a preventative approach to things. Why do we have to wait until we're at breaking point mentally or physically before we go and, you know, seek help and support? You don't wait until your tooth has crumbled from pain. You go and see a dentist when your tooth's aching. And I feel like that's the case with everything in life, whether it's your mental health, your business, your relationships. Stop waiting until the pain is bad enough. And so I feel really passionately about that, especially when it comes to isolation. We need to build our own villages in however way we can. Your isolation was as much about actual physical isolation. You're you're in the bush and there's no one else around you with only a small child. Have you experienced isolation or loneliness in the city? I have. I mean, I was only a mum for six months in the city, but, you know, there's all types of isolation. Women come to motherland who live 10 minutes from town. Like I'm 15 minutes from the closest town. So while I am geographically isolated compared to the city, I still have a social community around me. But, you know, you can be socially excluded. It can be very difficult to find your people. You know, we're in such a rat race society where we work so bloody hard so, so much that we don't actually nurture the basics of human life, which is social connection. And, you know, we're so focused. I think they've done studies on, on millennials. You know, what do you want out of life? And it's always a great career and money. That's all very well and good, but I don't hear people talk about, you know, relationships enough and that social connection, which can make you a better person, can actually make you a better business person and all those great things. So, yeah, it's it's a big problem. How do you build social connections now? <laughs> well, if you're like me, I I really struggled. It had to be virtual. I had no choice. I mean, I do have some neighbours here who are friends now, 
I have struggled to find people who I genuinely connect with. I feel like I'm quality over quantity. I love to go deep very quickly when I speak to people. And I think that I've built Motherland based on my own story and authenticity. And that's what people are connecting with. And and so for me, I, I built a virtual village. I, you know, launched Motherland Village, which is Australia's first online rural mothers group program. And I joined the program myself. I have a group. We're actually about to meet face-to-face for the first time at the end of March in Brisbane. Um, from all over the country because I had to build a village myself. I had no family and friends here. So, you know, one of my favourite ways to look at problems is that, and I learnt this the hard way, Helen, is no one is going to save you. And I think I spent so long playing victim, waiting for something to change, that things had to get really hard for me to realise that no one was going to pull me out of it. Not Sam, not friends, not family. I had to do the work. And I think that once you realise that, it's liberating because you realise if you don't do it, you're still going to be in the same position in a year, five, ten years. And that's hard. I think it's incredible advice and, you know, super valuable to hear someone like you say, particularly given that you just won Australia's Rural Woman of the Year. I want to ask you, though, about workplaces. You've worked in high-powered roles, as you say, media, corporate. There's a lot of isolation in those roles too. Did you ever experience that kind of social exclusion where you just weren't in the the cool gang in a workplace? Yeah, I think you are. It's funny how the school playground translates to corporate life as well. Absolutely. I've been in situations where I I felt excluded just socially. I've also suffered a lot of sexism in the workplace. I've got a lot of stories about that. And that in itself is a form of isolation. A lot of bosses that I look back now, I think 20 something year old Steph again, just put up and shut up. And I look back now and I think, oh my God, woman, what were you doing letting yourself being treated like that? And I just, I wish I had the confidence. I mean, I'm only 33, so I'm still a spring chicken in a lot of ways. But looking back, I wish that I had the confidence and respect for myself that I have now to go back to those moments of social isolation, whether it was with my peers or with my bosses, and put my foot down a bit. And so that makes me quite sad because I have a lot of regrets as to how I manage some of those circumstances. Would you really advise a young Steph today working in corporate life to to stand up for herself in the sense that it's still hard, right? You you are still going to find yourself isolated for rocking the boat in, in a modern workplace today. But that's also part of the problem is we don't talk about men rocking the boat. We don't talk about men being bossy. It's always women. Women are rocking the boat. She's difficult. She's creating problems. She's bossy. She's, you know, this upper self. And that's real. That's That stigma and that stereotype and sexism still exists. So yeah, I mean, I was probably never going to stand up for myself if I could like carry my current brain back then, of course. But, you know, 20-something-year-old Steph really didn't stand a chance. It's just, I'd love to see, you know, future generations of women start to rock the boat and, you know, and not consider it rocking the boat. Consider it just, you know, being respected. I ask because I have exactly the same thought process about some of the instances in my career where I wished I'd stood up. And and then if I really put myself back in that space, you know, there's just no way that it, it would have gone well. I'm also aware, self-aware enough to know that I did stand up quite often and it didn't always end very well. But I was interviewing Ray Cooper in this podcast not so long ago, and she was just so excited about the quality of the young women flooding out of schools and universities and TAFE colleges with tons of attitude and, you know, determination not to take the crap. So 
I think there is change afoot. Do you see that in your podcast? Yes and no. I think in some ways within our industry in rural Australia, we are very archaic in some of our views, um, especially regarding women. But yeah, things are changing depending on who you speak to and, and the demographic and the age gap. I'd like to think that my daughter, Evie, she's two, that things will be very, very different in 20 years' time. It's a long way away. And, you know, we are making progress. Of course we are. And talking about it is how we change things as well because we've, you know, previous generations, again, put up and shut up with a lot of stuff. Um, and one thing our generation and our modern era is doing well is communicating and being vulnerable and talking about the hard stuff. All right, let's talk about putting yourself forward. You you mentioned this at the top of the interview where you said, you know, I had to put myself forward for an award. I see this every day in my own team, despite all of the positive messaging. It's still hard for women to put themselves forward. What do you say to them? Just do it. Just get over yourself and just do it. I'm so sick of talking about it, Helen. It's just like, if we wait until we have the total confidence, we will never do it. Like, we will never do it. And, you know, I get to MC this year's awards at Parliament House and I get to be a national judge for the next year's winner. And I can't wait to pass on some of what I've learnt in, in this journey, this very short journey since, since I was named the winner. And I just think you just need to get out of your own way. Like, get out of your own way and put in the submission and have a go. What is the worst thing that's going to happen? And one of the things that I'm super conscious of these days in which we train is do not get up and say, oh, it's such a surprise and it's all my team and I don't deserve yeah. this, right? I mean, I say that having done it every single time. So I make that major error every single time I put, they put a microphone in front of me on anything. But it's true, right? The, the best speeches you hear often start with, thanks very much, I just want to mm-hmm. say, you know, and whatever their message is to the audience, to the people of Australia or to the policymakers, it just really hits if they don't spend the first couple of minutes being too self-deprecating. That's so true. And that in itself is a problem. I mean, I, I, I often feel funny you know, talking about the win. Again, it's that, oh, you know, like the other women were so deserving, which they were, but it's okay to say that it was me. And, you know, it, it was always me. You know, I, I said to Sam, I, I feel like I almost manifested it, but I really... I really felt like it was going to be me. I was actually terrified of it because when I went up to accept the award and I said it in my speech, I was pretty vulnerable in that. We were going through a really, really shitty time on the farm and in our personal lives, I did not want to be there that night. And I was actually terrified of winning, even though I kind of had a gut feeling, I reckon it's me. And so it was all sorts of emotions. But to your point, yeah, like let's stop getting up there and going, oh, but, and just before, and I, you know, just get in there. It's you like own it. And, and, and I, I want to do that. I want to do that because, you know, you're only the golden girl for a short time. You know, in this instance, in the rural space, there'll be another national winner in, in September this year. And that's exciting. So, you know, I, I've got to milk this for absolutely all it's worth. And I can't do that if I'm not confident, if I don't pitch myself, if I don't go to the Future Women's Summit and, and feel like I belong there on behalf of rural mothers around Australia. My community feels like, it, you know, I deserve to be there. So why shouldn't I? Yeah, we, we just need to work on ourselves and, as I said, get out of our own way. What are your key messages to your audience? Oh, where to start? So, <laughs> so many. I mean, you know, one thing I'm so passionate about is the fact that I am my customer and I think that's quite rare but beautiful is that I am a rural mum and I am a rural mum who has struggled and who does struggle. And so therefore I feel like I can build 
my brand, my leadership, my business on authenticity and motherland will only ever succeed if it continues to to follow that those values. And my messaging really has always been that I want to elevate rural motherhood because, you know, over 90% of the farms in this country, the food that we all eat, are grown on properties where rural women and mothers in particular are the backbone and the linchpin. And they often go so overlooked. And you only have to look at some of the stories we share, women that you've never heard of, women that rural Australians haven't heard of, with the most incredible stories. And that's that's my goal is to make every rural mum feel seen. And ultimately our vision at Motherland is to make sure no rural mum is left behind. How's the farm going? It's going good now. Last last winter was tough. Um, we've had a great summer so far, not too dry. Things are going well. We're gearing up for a, for a big year. We've got, you know, the three businesses between Sam and I. We, are, we run our own abattoir as well. So it's that real farm to fork uh, experience. So we've got a lot going on, but no, it's good. And what's the vision for you both and the family? I think we're still figuring that out, Helen. I think we know that we're where we want to be geographically. This this feels like home. We are both, we joke, we're both unemployable. I think there comes a time when you've been an entrepreneur for, for so long and you've sunk your teeth into your own passion projects that you realise that you could never work for someone again. So that's another thing that we both know. And, you know, the business Tazagco and what we do, which is to produce regenerative beef, is exciting. We're, we're hoping to launch and go direct to consumers this year. There is so much happening all the time. But, you know, Sam and I, I guess we work best when we work together. And, and you know, he's, he's my person. He's my business partner, teammate, soulmate. And I think, you know, they just recently completed, well, it's still ongoing, one of the biggest or the biggest happiness study in the world and tracking people over 75 years and one of at the top of the list of happiness was fulfilling relationships, not just personal ones, like not just intimate relationships, but relationships in general, which ties back to our earlier conversation on on isolation and social isolation in particular. So I feel like we've got all the ingredients. Sam and I always joke, we've got the ingredients. We've just got to get the recipe right this year. And work-life balance definitely is a big part of that. We both almost burnt out last year. So we're kind of coming into 2023 with a bit of a different perspective. Yes, I think anyone who had started a business just before COVID, uh, two years of COVID and, and, you know, now chronic interest rate rises and talk of recession has not been the best time to go into business. <laughs> what advice have you got for rural women, though, that are listening to you and can, or any woman who's listening to you going, well, I feel like that. I feel that isolation. I've got my children. I can't and don't want to work in corporate life anymore, but I do want to start a business because that is a hard thing to do too. You You make it sound you did your logo, you launched your podcast, away you went. And I know it's not that easy. I really, really do. But just what advice do you have if you've got a business idea right now and you want to launch something? First of all, read the Lean Startup book. That's something that I revisit again and again. And it's something that, you know, I regularly use when I'm preparing to launch a new product or change something. And yeah, like I did make it sound easy, but it's been over three years of grind. It's still a grind. I'm pretty much a one-woman show. I have another rural mum who works one day a week. And yeah, I I went unpaid. Like I'm still pretty much unpaid. That's hopefully going to change this year. So I want to make it clear that, yeah, like you look at all the fancy Instagram posts and you look at all the success someone's having, you don't know what's going on behind closed doors. The hustle is real. But in saying that, you also have to get out of your own way. As I said, if, if you have a fire in your belly, have a go, but also ask for help. Like, Everyone needs, I mean, men, mentors are a very overused term, but you do need them. 
you know, reach out to someone else who started a business. Like I always say, I'm always here. If a mum reaches out to me or a woman, I know I keep saying mum, but I'm just in motherland world. But, you know, if a woman reaches out to me, I, I'd love, I'm actually mentoring someone at the moment who has a really great idea for this business that she's just acquired and an app that she might start. And we're sending back WhatsApp messages voice messages back and forth and and I get to help and that's really cool but also yeah we just often just again we isolate ourselves by stewing on our own ideas without doing anything about it again what's the worst that can happen if you try and launch something and it fails who cares move on I've done a heap of stuff that hasn't worked out Sam's done a heap of stuff that hasn't worked out we're constantly failing but we're innovating at the same time and it doesn't have to be perfect close enough is good enough you know if I waited until motherland was the perfect business plan. I mean, I didn't really have one, which is probably a good thing because if I waited, it would still be launching now. Like, you know, and I just thought I can't, you know, it's too much and I've got the kids and I had, you know, Evie, I had two kids under two. But if you can and, you know, if you want to, you can. So get out of your own way and ask for help. That's what, you know, we talk about women supporting women. Need to actually back that up and follow through with it. And very few people will say no when you ask for help. Exactly. No one has said no. I've asked, you know, if you look at our board of directors, you know, Arabella Gibson, the CEO of the Gidget Foundation, the president of Australian Women in Agriculture, epic people who I asked, some of them actually applied, which is cool, and they didn't say no. And I just thought there is no way in hell I'm going to get these amazing leaders in business on my strategic board because I'm just a little old Steph with my little old charity. Who's going to want to be part of that? Well, look at them now. So, You just never know. And like to your point, very rarely will people say no. And if you're interested in Arabella Gibson, she is an earlier episode. And that is one of our best episodes, I would say. She was absolutely outstanding on collaboration and how to make stuff happen by collaborating is her thing. I ask this of everybody, what sort of leader are you? Wow, what sort of leader am I? I've actually never thought of like the label. I would say I'm a very vulnerable leader. I lead with my heart. And sometimes I overshare if there is such a thing, but that's me and that's my personal brand too. And I don't want to steer away from that, whatever the platform. And, you know, what is a leader? I think that's also, you know, what is a leader? And and for me, a leader is anyone that improves someone's life in some way, is leading in some way. And second to that, a leader in my mind is someone who turns vision into reality while bringing people along with them from a community perspective, whatever that community might be. So, yeah, I mean, that's that's how I perceive myself and I just need to keep being Steph and pretty, pretty obvious advice, but you've just got to be you. If you try and be anyone else, it's never going to work and you're just going to be total fake. Don't do it. Do you? Steph, awesome to talk to you today. Amazing insights and tips for our listeners. Please give my love to Sam, your beautiful husband, and I'll come and visit you both when I'm next in Tassie. Please do. Thank you so much, Helen. This podcast was recorded on the land of the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. We pay our respects to elders past and present. Executive producer is Jennifer Goggin. Series producer is Holly Mitchell and audio imaging by Nat Marshall.